let's dive in this morning. We are in the series, The God Who Sees. We're in week four. See, you've, you've hung out with me uh, long enough. I don't know that many people have left the church yet. You're probably tired of hearing me preach by now. But we got one more next Sunday, right? So, and, and it has ministered to me, I think, more than I'm able to convey that God has done a great kindness and is working on my heart. I'll tell you the truth. This is a, is a wonderful reminder of, uh, in many ways to me this morning, of God's goodness. Because I still get to hear God's people praising despite changes in circumstances. I didn't have a great night last night, if you want me to be honest with you. It was difficult. It was. And, and those nights will come. And they come out of nowhere when you have all these distractions and you go, wait a minute, the reality is still there. That that person might be gone. Or that person is still sick. And how do you navigate that? Well, you praise them. You praise him anyway. He steadies your soul. He is an anchor for your soul. And so before I forget, um, we're going to do Philippians 1.6, our memory verse. How's that going for everybody? Look, my kids are better at this than me. I grew up on King James. I preached from ESV, and we use N-I-R-V to memorize. So I get thrown, and my kids, they keep me on the straight and narrow, all right? So as a church, if you have your Bible app, because uh, it will not be on the screen here, no worries, right? Or you have your Bible even. Follow along with me, please. God began a good work in you. And I'm sure that he will carry it on until it is completed. That will be on the day Christ Jesus returns. Right? So we have this hope, and we talked about it last week. Unshakable hope. Jesus has begun a work in you, and he will complete it. And we have the promise that he is coming back. He's coming back. And that makes all the difference because we don't mourn like those who have no hope. And so my sermon title this morning is The Family of God. And you say, well, that's strange. Why would that be in a series about grief? Because we say the God who sees, but let's be real. This series has been about grief and what we do with grief and how we glorify God in our grief, in our mourning and suffering. Amen? And so why would I call a sermon The Family of God? Because the family of God matters in those moments, that we are ministering agents to one another in our suffering, in our affliction, and while we share in sufferings, we share also in the comforts that come upon us in this life as well. And so if you have your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And good news, I didn't do you like I did the first week when we had all the blank lines, and I said, let the Spirit minister you where you want to go, right? Uh, everything is in the worship guide. So the points are in there, the scriptures are in there, and uh, you are set up for success, and that's just all credit is due to our amazing team here at the church. But So if you have that and you have it ready, um, you can camp right there in 2 Corinthians. So I'm going to refer to other passages of scripture, but we are going to primarily, we're deriving all of our points, all that God has for us this morning from this passage, okay? So no need to flip all about and whatnot. And before we dive in, before we start reading the text, there are two things I need to mention, and they're pertinent. One is, uh, again, as you heard from uh, the audio, is that ladies' brunch is coming up. Now, I don't know what bunko is. I think it's some kind of witchcraft, so don't worry about that. But I tell you what, peek behind the veil, um, my wife has an incredible message for the women in the church, and I am, I am blessed to be married to her. I, I get to see the notes, just like she gets to see my sermon notes ahead of time when she says, like, you probably shouldn't use words like healing balm in your message. It makes no sense. It's not 18th century England. And uh, so I don't, and I make those corrections. But she showed me what she has, and I believe it is going to bless the women in this church and I think it's going to be a great time. And also, life groups, the family of God, life groups. We, we can do so much on a Sunday, 
but the lifeblood of this church, of any community, is what you do throughout the week with one another. And so I encourage you, if you've had a thought, or, or you, you've had an inclination, or you're just curious, reach out. We're trying to get our leaders signed up to have a robust fall launch. Um, by August the 8th, is the suspense there? They're showing me on the confidence monitor the Life Group logo, but you can't see it, and that's okay. <laughs> it's an interesting situation. But nonetheless, if you're curious about it, reach out. I want to help you and equip you and pray for you. I want you to be successful so that his name might be made great. Chiefly, that is always our aim, is that God is glorified in what we do. And I'll be real with you, I don't care if we had 20 to 25 groups or if we had 100 groups. My aim is that somebody takes one more step closer to Jesus at the end of each term, that they have grown, that they have grown in love for one another and they've grown in love for their Lord Jesus. That is the aim of all of this. And so if you're that kind of person and you're interested or maybe you have some hesitation, please reach out. Please reach out. Because I want to be there and support you and give you everything that you need and equip you to walk that journey. All right, so 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7 says this. And I read it last week as well as we close out the message. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you and we praise you for another day. God, we are never promised the day and now we are in it. God, I ask that we would just, we would seek to glorify you and that you would soften our hearts and let us be recipients of your word. God, I pray that I get out of the way, uh, that your word would, be, would shine through, God, and that we would uh, continue to grow in the knowledge and truth of who you are so we can be more like your son, Jesus. We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. And so... Well, I was sitting in the media booth this morning when we were discussing all of this, and I had the privilege of seeing firsthand in the immediacy this morning, I've experienced it greatly, and we'll talk more about it, but watching the family of God in action, right? And uh, I didn't ask for their permission, but they didn't tell me that it was a bad thing when I did it in the first service, but I got to see the Nowries, and I peeked through, and I told the guys in the media in the back, I said, watch this, you guys. I said, look. I said, and they're praying for somebody. I said, this is the kingdom of God. This is God's people doing his work right now in this moment. You think, well, it's just a prayer. No, you don't understand. Prayer can move mountains because it's the one you are praying to that matters. And so it, it disturbs me sometimes when I hear people say things like, well, I don't think God cares or that's not significant. No, God is deeply concerned with all of your life. You know, I've heard people say, well, I'm not gonna pray for that exam that's coming up. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Who do you think gave those people the brains to make the exam in the first place? It is God, right? And so we seek to prayer, and that's one of the most powerful, and I think sometimes, unfortunately, because of our humanity, one of the uh, least used gifts that God gives us is that is the power of prayer, to pray for one another, to be there for one another, and to provide comfort and affliction. And so my first point this morning is this. God comforts in all our affliction. 
comes from 2 Corinthians verse 3, 4a. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. You know, without getting into a, uh, a lecture in Greek, right, that word all, if you look at that word, the way he says all affliction, all comfort, if you go through multiple translations, and I did, it all says all. It's the Greek word pas, and it's the same word that's used in Matthew 28, 18, when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Did you know that? Which is, which is interesting, right, because we understand when he says all authority, that is everything. That is every single thing. It says, it, the definition was, as far as the Greek is concerned, is meaning all, the whole, or every kind of. So we trust him because he has all authority on heaven and earth, that he's reigning and ruling in glory right now. And so when he says, when the apostle Paul writes this and says that God will comfort us in all affliction, it means all, every single form that it comes in, which means sometimes in the moment when we're under duress and we make bad decisions and greater affliction comes upon us, God will comfort us. As long as we return to him, God will comfort us. He will minister to us. Sometimes we, we, we do. We're guilty of that. We make poor decisions under stress. Would you agree? You know, somebody maybe cuts you off in traffic and your day is ruined and now you're acting like you're in the Indy 500 the rest of the day because nobody's gonna get in front of you and you're gonna pull over on the shoulder to block people that are still should have gotten over like three miles ago when the sign was there, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. But God is comforting us even in our ignorance. Praise be to God for that, right? Like people, we don't want to hear that, but we need him. We're stubborn people. And when affliction enters our life and it doesn't pass into our life except through going through God's hand first, that God will comfort us, that God will minister to us. I love the, uh, in Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, they have the Beatitudes there. And I, I, I'm gonna read these to you because I think that at one point or another, um, we can all kind of find ourselves here in what Jesus is saying. Now the whole of scripture is inspired and errant. It is God's word, right? We learn that all of scripture is God breathed and we believe that, but there's something for me, there is an additional sweetness when you get to the red letter sometimes. When I go, wait a minute, these are the words that my Lord spoke with his very mouth. And so he says this, and I'm gonna read them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Folks, all of these people, all of these things that are going on all over the world, this is the church. The people of God are blessed. Blessed you will be comforted. If you're mourning, if you're poor in spirit, your inheritance is great in heaven. These are the words of Jesus himself. And this is what he teaches us. And this is what he has to say for our lives. 
Some of the things that happen when you undergo mourning or grief or loss are secondary and tertiary impacts of your circumstances, right? So for instance, when you lose somebody, when I lost my mother, it was very hard for me to focus on my job. And there were people in this church that came alongside and prayed for me and blessed my family and gave gifts and ministered to me and gave me the comfort they themselves had received because they knew their Lord Jesus. Because they understood the concept of being a family. As I said earlier, I mean, even last night, all the distractions that we have going on, all the busyness, I laid down in bed, and uh, out of nowhere, it just hit me and said, man, they're still gone. <laughs> and I can't change that. And it's a journey as we go along, but you know what? I know where they are, and I know where I'm going. And though this life be hard, God is always faithful. I love that when we describe blessedness, R.C. Sproul talks about it this way. He says, more than just a state of happiness, it is the approval before God, a destiny of delight and communion with the creator. That you and I get to enter communion with the God that speaks things into existence should bless us, shouldn't it? To know that despite the circumstances and the challenges and the things that we deal with, that in all of our afflictions, God will comfort us. All of them. It's like I said last week, you know, the question that you always ask when you, when you get to heaven, everybody kind of plays with the idea of what would you first ask Jesus? Who would you try to go find first? And uh, I mentioned, I said, you know, I'd ask, why me? And the reason being is because I know how stubborn I am. I know how often I fall short. Thankfully, God pulls some of that back, right? Because if God let you fill the weight of all of the sin that we have in our lives, it would crush us. And God in his mercy comforts us even then, right? In Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. If you want to be comforted in affliction, go here. Start here. Sometimes it's a prayer. The prayer may be, help, as I've said before. It doesn't have to be this lofty thing. God, help me. I have nothing. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Sometimes it's, you have no words. Sometimes it's like singing songs today that maybe you don't know the lyrics to, but you raise your hands up because you're worshiping the king of glory. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and form, foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and behold the works of the Lord. He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. And the God of Jacob is our fortress. If I want to be comforted by anybody, if I want to worship any kind of God, it's this one. It's this one, this mighty fortress. As, uh, as, as Luther's song goes, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. 
This is the kind of God that you and I get to serve. This is the kind of God where we're in pain and distress and anxiety and in suffering. He says, I will comfort you. I will comfort you. I mentioned the prayer out there earlier for the express purpose of this as well. In the quote from Thomas Brooks, he says, prayer crowns God with honor and glory due his name. And God crowns prayer with assurance and comfort. The most praying souls are the most assured souls. It's the power of prayer. Oftentimes when we talk about community and how we can come together and how we can comfort others and how we can minister to others, sometimes it's prayer. And we reduce that, I think, sometimes and say, oh, it's just prayer. You don't understand what you have. We don't get it sometimes. We, we, we have a direct line to the God that spoke everything that you see before you into existence. We have a direct line to the king of glory forever. Nobody can take that from you. And so I encourage you, petition on the behalf of your brother and your sister in prayer. Be in prayer always for God's people and God's church. We know that the church will endure to the end, but it doesn't mean that we're still not commanded to pray for one another as the scriptures teach us. And our Lord prays. He prayed. See it throughout his entire ministry and life. And so my second point is this. God gives us comfort that we might share it with others. I saw a couple of people mention it before. Uh, over the last few weeks, it has blessed me, some of the stories that I've heard from people in this church. And um, we said, you know, there's a plan, there's purpose in your pain. That God is not caught off guard by your affliction, that there is purpose in it. And this is where we make that pivot and say, okay, well, God, if I am afflicted and if I'm in pain and I'm now receiving comfort, to what end is this for? One, to glorify God, but to bring him further glory to be able to comfort another. You see, we're not meant as, body, as a body to stagnate. What does a body not in motion do? It decays, it atrophies, and it eventually dies. But we are the body of Christ, and we are commanded to be his hands and feet. We are commanded to comfort those who are in need of comfort, to make the burdens perhaps a little bit lighter, I did not know. So when we came on, uh, the first year that we were here, that I was on staff, was uh, robbed because of COVID, right? Everybody loves COVID, ruins everything, doesn't it? And uh, <laughs> I'm done with COVID, all right? Love y'all, done with it. And, um, but I didn't get a chance to, to build and cultivate any kind of connection in that first year as much as I would have liked to. It took it. As a result, this year has been different, and the predicate for that has not been presence. It has been pain. Do you know that? I have a deeper connection with the people in this church as a family because they were present comforters in my suffering. I've heard stories from people that out of the blue, it's very different to know something here, but the, when you experience it, there's a level of connectivity with somebody that is, um, I say supernatural in one sense, that God is ministering in that moment to say, hey brother, sister, I know your pain. I have felt your pain, and when you hurt, I hurt. And for people to tell me things out of the blue, like, hey, I just need you to know I lost a parent too. And I know what that's like. Or hey, you know, I just wanted to, uh... <laughs> the reality is the church is a supernatural entity, right? But if we look at it as a world, it's like, man, I don't know you from Adam. I don't know much about you, but I know that you're hurting, and um, we love you, and we wanna give you this gift to help you. We want to bless you, and people have done that for us, have blessed us greatly. And it has been 
radically transformative for how we understand the depth and the love and the grace of God within his community and within particularly this church. There is a true and unbridled love for this church and the people in it. Not that it wasn't there before, but you see, here's the thing that happened. The, uh, the day that I started, or the day before, but certainly the day that I gave my mother's eulogy, hardest message I've ever given, um, I, I don't know what else is in store in the future, but I know that God holds it, right? And when we went in there and we saw some of the stuff, I saw uh, from, from Pastor Josh and Erica, there was something there from them, just as a token of, hey, we're gonna make this burden a little bit lighter for you. I saw something from the church, this church. Hey, we're thinking about you. And here, mind you now, we had that year where we were kind of all disconnected because of COVID. We did everything digitally. And the people of God being the people of God, providing comfort. The one that got my attention, all those, those did as well and blessed us, was, was our shameless plug, was our life group. The people that we had been spending time with that knew our stories, that laughed with us, that have cried with us, that have been praying with us. And they said, it's just, it, it sounds insignificant to the world. It's just a little potted plant, right? And yet it was from them. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. Giving comfort where comfort can be given because of their love for Christ and their love for neighbor and ultimately their love for family. You see, what is it the old, uh, I used to joke, was it Garth Brooks, Prophet Garth Brooks said, you know, love is, is, is thicker than blood, right? Blood is thicker than water, but love is thicker than blood or whatnot. Well, he's missing something there, although that's nice and it sounds good on a postmark card, but the thing is, is that the body, the bonds of the body of Christ in here are forever, and they are much deeper than blood will ever go. You know, you think right now, I told him in the last service, that if you look around and there's somebody you don't like, but you know that they know Jesus, you better get to liking them fast, because you're going to be stuck with them forever. So, ain't no escaping in eternity, all right? But that's the thing. We grow in our sanctification. We comfort others. When we're in affliction and we receive comfort, it is not for us to always stay there and decay. Everybody's timing is different. I am not saying that, hey, I need to get back on track right now. No. Everybody's story is different. Everybody's is. What I am saying is that you need to understand that as being a recipient of God's comfort, the intention is for you to comfort somebody else. The greatest comfort for me lately has been this series. Still hurting, still mourning, still think about it regularly, still have bad nights like last night. And yet it has been a great comfort for me to hear the outpouring, not because I've done anything, because God could, God could raise up a rock and preach the message, right? It doesn't matter. I, I, I'm not anything special, but what God has done is through sharing this story and preaching his word and pointing people to the great comforter that he is, I have been comforted. It's not some strange dichotomy where you go, well, while I'm in affliction, I can't comfort. No, you don't understand. While you are hurting even, there may be opportunity to pray and love on somebody and comfort others that need it. We do not know their story. I had somebody come up to me um, I won't mention her name a couple of weeks ago after the message. And she said, I just need you to know that um, years ago, in one year, I lost 13 family members. And I thought, oh my goodness. I would have never known that if I hadn't shared my story. I may not have felt comfortable telling me that. We could always say somebody perhaps has it worse than we've had, but that's not the point. The point is, is if you are in affliction, God will comfort you. And if you have received God's comfort in your life, then brothers and sisters, give God's comfort. 
It's not meant for us to hoard. It's meant for us to share, to strengthen the bonds that we have as a body of believers. It runs so deep. Galatians 6, 2 says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Do you feel that as a body of believers? When somebody is in pain, do you feel that with them? When somebody is rejoicing, perhaps we've got several families in here that we have been praying for that are now expecting children. Go the other way, right? Praise be to God, children are an inheritance from the Lord, right? And we want to celebrate and rejoice with them. But there was a season. There was a season. There were many tears, many sleepless nights, much pain, much affliction. And God uses his people to provide comfort. Make no mistake, you never want to impose on somebody to say, hey, I need you to be like Jesus more. That doesn't work. Please don't go up and grab your neighbor and be like, I need you to be more like Jesus. Oh, you're gonna just frustrate people, right? Because we understand that in our humanity, um, we are imperfect in doing that. We are. So you don't wanna have some idealistic distortion about how things should be like, well, man, nobody calls me enough. You go, you're still dealing with people. We're all in process here. You know, my, my wife, uh, since he's here, and I mentioned in the last service, this life is not like a Hallmark movie, all right, where you always know the plot and the way it's gonna end up. That's not how any of this works. It's far more colorful. It's got more valleys in it, but it's got mountaintops too. God uses imperfect people, brings them into his family, and works on us all the way until the end with each other, among one another, whether that's breaking bread, having a meal, whether that is you know, being up at 12.30 at, at night, calling somebody, listening to them, wail their hearts out because they're broken. This is what you and I get to do. And it makes all the difference. Francis Schaeffer says this, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. Many of you know me well enough to know that it drives me bananas. I do not like this uh, circus of churches where it's all a performance and there's no gospel. But that is what the world sees sometimes, and it looks just like the world. We should look different than the world in which we live. We are passing through. We are citizens of heaven. The way that we love and engage one another should perplex the world. It should intrigue them. It should make them curious. It should make them want to show up on a Sunday and be like, why do you love each other the way you do? Why do you love like that? It should be a testament to God's faithfulness and his comfort and his goodness. It should. And yet, a lot of times we hear that this is a classic one. Most pastors will tell you they've heard this. I don't go to church. It's full of hypocrites. You're right, you're right. But you know who was not a hypocrite? Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one we serve and seek to be like through God's grace, through his transforming of our minds with reading his word, through prayer, through spending time together. And this is why, and, and again, this is not a shameless plug. This is practical outwork. This is why it's so important to be connected. It's why it's important to be in a life group. It's why it's important that if you feel the urge, lead one, because I had a conversation the other day with a dear friend. I said, you know what? Despite everything, you may be the only Jesus these people ever see. You may be the only Jesus they ever see. And that's hard. And that requires much of us. 
but Jesus paid it all. And so shouldn't our lives be poured out for the sake of the gospel? Despite our circumstances, despite our challenges, our afflictions, our heartache, shouldn't our lives be poured out for this purpose? To bring comfort, to bring the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Should it not? My third point is this. Hope is strengthened in God's family through suffering and comfort. Suffering, affliction. You say, how do these things strengthen us? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> in suffering, the world looks at it and says, maybe you need to get some more medication. Maybe you need to see a therapist for an extended period. And I'm not opposed to those things if you need those things. But the world says, continue to pursue these things that will never satisfy or restore your soul. Or bring no healing to what really matters deep down. Sure, you can work out those things and those are okay and God provides us the wisdom and the people to do those things that they're called to do them and they're passionate about them. But how's your heart? How's your heart in all of this? Well, right now, if you're suffering, it's probably a battlefield, isn't it? Probably a lot of great distress and pain. You see, how does that bring strength? And the same thing on the other side in comfort. How does that bring strength? To be comforted, to know that there are people in this church, in this body, that serve the same king that you do, that love you, that want to be there for you, that want to pray for you, that want to provide for you. How does that strengthen the church? Both of them are dependent on Jesus. Both are dependent on Jesus. It's the same object in your affliction. What do you feel when you're in great suffering and despair? Helpless. I know I do. I know I do. I've shared that story. It's come up time and time again by virtue of this series that when I found out about my mother, I felt helpless. I pled. I had very little words. I had a lot of tears. And I felt helpless. And so it pushed me by God's grace closer to my Lord. Pushed me towards him. And you say, well, why does that work with comfort? <laughs> you come into a church that loves you and comforts you and ministers to you. You know what you want to ask? Why? And they point you to who? Jesus Christ. They point you to him. And so these two work together to strengthen God's family. You ever seen some of those churches in the news where they had the, uh, the shootings and stuff like that? And you, and you get these interviews with people that are in the church and they feel more bonded than ever. Despite pain, loss, suffering, acts of violence against them, they say, no, Jesus is still Lord and we are still bonded together closer than ever. One of the things that I got to learn, and it baffles me because I thought it was so profound, was when you're, if you've ever been in the military, if you've known anybody in the military, there's a great kind of community and depth to that that's really just a shadow of what the church is, as all things are, Right? is you'll go somewhere overseas to someplace you've never known to somebody maybe you barely know and you trust them with your life. You trust them with your life. There's a type of community and connection in that that we are here for a central purpose, plan, and mission. And so it is true for the church. We may have differing personalities. We could butt heads. We can have disagreements. That's okay. We're all people. We're all human. We all have our, our, our weaknesses. We have our vices. 
God has made each one of us unique in our own right, and yet we have a central purpose as the body of Christ, and that is to bring the gospel to the end of the earth. That is to be equipped each Sunday after Sunday, equipping the saints for what? The works of ministry, to be ministering agents of God's gospel to people. One of the things that I deal with regularly as an army chaplain is I get phone calls all the time from young people. And you know what the number one culprit is of their pain? Loneliness. It's loneliness. They're depressed. Sometimes they're suicidal. They're lonely. What would be the power of community then? It would change everything, wouldn't it? To know that somebody texts you, calls you. I had a, a good friend in this church just yesterday reach out to me. We've been talking about, hey, we're thinking about going somewhere and just kind of hanging out and a little low-key. Hey, you want to stay at this place? And I said, well, what's your rate? There's not one. Just wanted to bless y'all. I thought, my goodness, God. That's very kind. It's very kind. To have this type of synergy as a body of believers. I'm not saying that you are going to, don't put the expectation that you're going to know everybody's business. Although as a pastor... Nobody thinks it's weird when I button your business because it's my job, right? Get all in your business. Want to know how to pray for you, how to connect with you. Want to just listen to you. Some people just need to know somebody's there to listen. Maybe you don't have any words. But to be connected as a body of believers, to strengthen the bonds in the church is what we are called to do. It's what we get to do. Look at some of the stories in Scripture. Joseph in Genesis, right? Brothers were envious, they didn't like him. He gets sold off, ends up in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife attacks him like a crazy person. He gets thrown in jail, falsely accused. Interprets a couple of dreams, and of course I'm giving you the shorthand, the cliff notes of it, and ends up being the second most powerful person in Egypt. And his brothers, who did that to him, and left him for dead when he finally reveals himself. What does Joseph tell him? You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good, right? You meant it for something wicked, but God meant it for good. There's nothing that passes through your life or my life, especially among a body of believers that God does not have an intended and expressed purpose for. And there's nothing more sweet, I think, this side of glory than to watch God's people in action loving one another and providing comfort in a way that only they can on this side of things. Being ministers to you as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. It's because that's what the Lord uses. That's what the Lord uses. You say, you know, oh, people will ask you sometimes in your suffering, oh, well, you're just, you just got this ethereal concept and you've got this God hope or whatever. And I'm like, you don't understand. That really practically works out not only in feeling God's presence, but being ministered to by his people. And so we're strengthened and we're built up. Have you ever noticed in history the church has always grown exponentially in what? Adversity, in affliction, in comforting. Do you remember when uh, he had Peter, he was timid and he was afraid, and then what happened after the Holy Spirit descended? He went and preached, he was beaten, and then he came back rejoicing. He said, what? He's beaten, and they came back and had a party at the church. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? We don't live in that kind of country yet. Um, hopefully we don't get to that point. 
But nonetheless, so we find in 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. You will share in our comfort. God used Joseph's story when things were desolate and there was nothing there to bring comfort to his brothers that did him wicked. And God is glorified in that. And those bonds were what as a result? Strengthened. They were strengthened. Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, he said something that if you didn't know that he was a missionary and loved the Lord, you'd think that this guy's probably not a Christian and he's got some serious issues. And, but I was reading, I was researching about him a little bit, and he said the only thing that kept him from suicide was his wife and her love. And you thought, Hudson Taylor, this guy that wanted to bring the gospel to China, that started the Chinese inland mission and all that, wanted, wanted to hurt himself at one point. He dealt with depression. But it was his wife and her love, which wives that love that way love in what way? In Christ's way. That's the comfort and the hope. She loved him well because she understood her love in her Savior and therefore poured that out on him, just like you and I do. We come in, maybe you're having a bad day, maybe things are going on, and you say, no, I want to pray for you. I want to embrace you. I want to lighten the load in any way that I can because I know on the other side of this, one, God is faithful. He's faithful now. And two, I want to celebrate the victories on the roads ahead. I know who my father is. I know his love for us. And so we suffer and we rejoice together. We are a body of believers. Elizabeth Elliot and her son, uh, husband, Jim Elliot, you know that story. You get married in Ecuador. And they go, you know what we're going to do? We're gonna bring the gospel to this tribe that we don't know how to communicate with, Alku, or I may be saying that wrong. And we're going to, we're gonna bring the gospel and everything is gonna change. And sometimes we have this romanticized view. We say, okay, yeah, this is great. We're gonna go for it and we are gonna conquer the world for the gospel. And yet, maybe sometimes the harvest isn't quite as plentiful as we wished. But we're not called to be faithful so long as the harvest is plentiful. We're called to be faithful because it's what we're commanded to do by our God. It's very different. We're commanded. He does the change. We just take the steps in faith. We just come with empty hands and say, God, what do you want me to do? And so they go there. Her husband, Jim Elliot, is speared and murdered by this tribe. And you would think at that point she would go, one, well, not sure how I feel about God, right? This gospel that my husband just died, was murdered, not sure what to do. She gets linked up with a couple of people and learns their language, and she goes back. She goes back. She wants these people, like her husband, to be part of the family of God. Even though they've done horrible things. Can you and I readily say that sometimes? I don't think so. Maybe you can. I can't. That would be hard for me. She goes back. And then, here's, here's the kicker. We think, okay, when there's the end of the story and it's beautiful and everything goes well for Elizabeth Elliot. No. At the end of her life, before she passed in 2015, she had dementia. Is God still faithful? Yes. Were lives changed forever? Was what she did, did it have eternal significance? Yes, it did. It is a labor of love. And so we express that to one another in this church. Maybe people you've been praying for years, things have not changed in their life. 
Continue bringing comfort to them. Continue loving them. Continue praying for them. Sometimes the most loving thing that means is, hey, I can't have you in my life right now, but I'll pray for you until Jesus changes you. All right, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna be here. I'm gonna be petitioning my God to change because I want that great comfort that only he can provide to be yours. To be yours. Find in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, it says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. In the secular world, if you are hurting, then you're left to your own to figure it out most of the time. We like to say, oh, well, there's programs, there's resources and such. No, there's, truly there's not as many as you would think. And, and people aren't necessarily concerned. They're concerned with the immediacy, but not the long-term effects of pain and suffering and affliction. But the church is different. Because they're not saying, hey, here's the tools for you to fix you. They're saying, I'm gonna come alongside and I'm gonna put your arm over my shoulder and I'm gonna walk with you. I will walk with you. And the good news is unlike our secular counterparts, there needs no compensation because my reward is in heaven. And I love you because Christ loves me and he, lied, he died for his church. Christ died for his church. And so First Peter, as I close, says this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospi hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each who has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. They may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When his glory is revealed. So here's my challenge to you. One, find somebody in this church that you can love. Find somebody you can love, really. Connect with somebody. Can I pray for you? Tell me about your life. Tell me about your story. And I want to challenge you too, is when you walk through these doors, I don't think that we typically understand, and I've been guilty of this as well, the only reason I know is because I am behind the curtain, right? Uh, I'm here on staff. But you would be amazed at how much dedication and work goes into making sure that this experience on a Sunday morning blesses you. When you walk through the doors and somebody greets you and smiles, if you're in Christ, that's family. When somebody hands you a worship God, when you walk in, if you're in Christ, that is family. When your family, our prayer partners who come down to the front are here, this is family. And they wanna pray for you. They wanna pray for you. They wanna celebrate you if you need to celebrate. They wanna listen to you, uh, share your burdens if you need to share your burdens, but they want to be present for you. We are a body. And if one of our members is suffering or hurting, we should all feel the weight of that. There's a kind of depth and beauty to Christ's church.